Welcome to the Proclaim podcast, where we sit down with missionary disciples and talk all things around sharing Jesus with others. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of our Proclaim podcast. I'm here with a very special guest, and I'm going to make sure I get her name right. Meg, not Megan, just Meg, Hunter Kilmer. You got it. Awesome. Uh, earlier, I, I got to have lunch with Meg, and I asked her where, you know, where, where she's from, you know, what's her, her home base, because she's visiting the Archdiocese of Vancouver, doing some, uh, some presentations to, to share her missionary work, but mostly to share uh, the glory of God and to share Jesus with others. And she said, well, I kind of live all over the place. So uh, Meg has a wonderful and a unique mission field, mission territory, and, and a unique calling. So I'd love to introduce you to Meg. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, and I'm so excited to hear more about your story and how God has moved in your life. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Uh, so I am a missionary. I'm from the States. I grew up outside D.C., got a couple degrees in theology, taught high school religion for five years, uh, and about 10 years ago, I felt like God was calling me to follow him in a more literal way. So I quit my job, packed everything I own into the trunk of my car, and started driving. And I've been on the road for 10 and a half years, 50 states, 25 countries, driven about 335,000 miles. That is amazing. It's ridiculous. Is it, what is it is quite <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah. So, so this, isn't, this is the uncommon path, right? For sure. Yeah. yeah. People sometimes are like, okay, so how do I do what you do? And I'm like, oh, well, don't. Like, it's not, <laughs> this, this isn't, I'm not like trying to start a movement here. I'm just, right. I'm trying to be responsive to what I think the Lord is asking of me. But there's a reason that this isn't a thing. You yeah. know, like this is, this is not a normal way to yeah. live. And that's okay. Yeah. We discussed about uh, earlier about one of Proclaim's values, this, the value of being spirit-led, spirit, uh, spirit-led boldness, and really what you're doing is quite bold, but the main part is that you were led by the Spirit. I you, sure you hope so. Otherwise, Lord. what a waste of a life, man. Come on. <laughs> I have a question, though, yeah. and this, is, this has nothing to do with Proclaim, but I'm curious, like, are you in the same van that you started with 10 years ago? So it's actually a Corolla. Okay. Um, yeah. I talked to someone the other day and they were like, oh, like van life. And I was like, oh gosh, is that what people think when I say this now? Because okay. when I first started, people were like, oh my gosh, you're like a, a homeless person and mm-hmm. I'm really concerned for you. And I'm like, do people now think that I live in like a tricked out RV with like right, animal stuff? Right, because that's a thing stuff? now, right? Like, there's a yeah, lot of, no. Yeah. So it's a Corolla. Okay. Um, I, it's the second car that I've had. So I had a Mazda for a while and it okay. just fell all to pieces and the okay. mechanic I took it to was like what is the story on this car <laughs> and I was like I don't even understand that question I was like so I have to be somewhere 14 hours away tomorrow and he was like look you're not gonna die but you're not gonna get there <laughs> I was like oh, okay that's that's encouraging yeah so I've, I've had this car since 2016 okay and it's uh, showing some wear okay yeah yep, yep. <laughs> I've lived with Corollas all my life, and they're awesome. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's so 205,000 miles on it, and okay. it's doing okay. But the, I've had the brakes replaced four times in the last oh, year okay. and a half, so I'm not loving that. Okay. Yeah, okay. if anybody knows cars, you can uh, help me out with my Toyota. Yeah, yeah. So I have you on the episode uh, with Proclaim because Proclaim as a movement has this mission to awaken disciples to proclaim Jesus. And having had a, a very brief conversation with you, that really is at the heart of your mission, Um to share Jesus with others, to help uh, people get to know Jesus in a more personal way. So share with us a little bit more about the mission work that you get to do. Yeah, I mean, I you said it's at the heart of my mission. And my first thought was, gosh, I hope it's at the heart of my life. You know, <laughs> yeah, and like my amen. mission is so much, uh, so much a part of who I am. Uh, but I think that it really stems from this hunger that I have always had since I met Jesus to tell people about him. Just mm-hmm. because, God, he just changes everything, right? Yeah. 
And I was so miserable before I knew him, Mm -hmm. you know, and I am occasionally miserable since knowing him. But it's not this like this constant undergirding of everything that I feel that my life is empty and I'm never going to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, like when I'm when I'm miserable now, it's like miserable in the arms of my father who loves me, which is just a very different thing. Um, And having lived without hope and having encountered the difference that that hope makes, I just have I've always wanted to be able to share that with other people. Um, And I think in many ways it's easier for me because I, you know, any small talk question you ask me, the answer is Jesus, right? Like I was on a plane yesterday and I don't always want to have this conversation with a stranger, you know, because then I'm like this this sideshow and people are like, wow, you're a freak and like, why are you the way that you are? And then it like it it can become so much about me. And this woman was like, you know, what are you doing in Vancouver? And I was like, oh, you know, I'm just giving some talks. And she was like, oh, on what? And I was like, on Jesus. Here we go. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Here we go. Yeah. Um, But I feel like it's very easy even to talk about church things and not talk about Jesus. Yeah. Right? Like it's super easy to talk about literally anything in your life and not talk about Jesus. But it's even easy to talk about church things and not talk about Jesus. So my goal is always like, how can I... How can I bring the love of Jesus into this conversation, right? Okay. Even when we're talking about theology, which should be about Jesus, but so often isn't, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and so just trying to figure out a way that I can say to her that you're so loved, yeah. right? That, yeah. that God looks at you and he's delighted that you exist because that's not the heart of the message of the faith that most people hear. Yeah. Why, why do you think it's so hard to talk about Jesus? Uh, well, I think it depends on where you're from. Okay. Um, so I'm from D.C., which I expect has sort of a, a similar cultural attitude to Vancouver uh, when it comes to religion of okay. like, you're allowed to do whatever you want to do in the privacy of your own heart, but it is very rude to have right. that conversation with somebody else. And it is absolutely unacceptable so to suggest that other people ought to live the way that you live. Okay. So some parts of the States, that's not the case. You can like open a conversation with someone with where's your church home and everybody's cool with that. That's okay. not, that's not how it is in DC. I don't, yeah. it's not how it is here. Right. Um, and so I think part of it is that it's just sort of been drilled into us that it's rude yeah. to talk about religion. Um, and we have to, we have to overcome that. And I, I tend to think of it, um, you know, in, uh, um, I uh, went to college near Chicago and so there were a lot of Cubs fans and the Cubs had not won the world series since before our lady appeared in Fatima. Like it was, it was a really, really long time right. since the Cubs had won the World yeah. Series. And in 2016, they won the World Series. And I looked at that and I was like, you know, if you're a Cubs fan in 2016, it does not matter how much your friends hate baseball. You're talking to them about baseball yeah. and they're okay with it because they know that this matters to you, right? Yeah. They know yeah. that this has changed your life. They know that you're thrilled and they want to be a part of the things that you care about, even if they're not interested in it. Yeah. We have better news than that. Absolutely. Right. But we censor it out of our lives because we just don't want to make people uncomfortable. And first of all, that's obviously not how we evangelize. But it's I think we do a great disservice to our friends, even in terms of like the respect that we show them in our friendship. Like if there's a part of your life that you're completely censoring out of your life because you don't want to make somebody else uncomfortable. I mean, it's the same way that like. You know, I'm almost 40. I'm not married. I don't have any children. Um, and that there are people who love me who know that that's a sensitive area for me who want like they don't want to talk about their excitement about being pregnant. And I'm like, no, that's not what's going on here. Right. right. Like this might be hard for me and this yeah. could be an uncomfortable conversation. But like 
we're not going to be the kind of friends where you don't share your grief and your struggle, right. you know, or you don't share your joy because of the way that it might hurt me. Yeah. And I think that that faith can sort of be the same thing where, you know, and obviously, you know, you're going to have some friends like if you've got a friend who's a survivor of clerical sexual abuse, you're going to have to tread much more carefully in the way that you talk about your faith. But most of the time, that's not what we're doing. Most yeah. of the time, we just don't want to make people uncomfortable. And so we don't offer them the respect of letting them see our lives as they actually are. Yeah. And uh, evangelization really can be as easy as just being authentic about what's going on in your life. Like you have a really good confession and you're going to tell your Catholic friends, but you're not going to tell your non-Catholic friends. Well, like if you had a really good therapy session, you might share that with your non-Christian friends. So like if you had the same kind of experience in confession, like you can share these things with people without, without an agenda necessarily, yeah. right? Just saying, I want... Like we're walking together through life and I want you to know everything about me, which includes like this Jesus TV show that I'm watching, you know, <laughs> yeah. which includes this book that I read, which includes this moment that I had in prayer. And and I'll, I'll say like, I know this isn't your thing, but, yeah. you know, like, or I don't want to make this weird, but, right? Kind of giving people that out if they don't want to respond to it. Yeah. But it isn't just I'm coming at you because I'm trying to convince you. It's I, I don't want to do you the disservice of saying there's a part of my life that you can't understand and so I'm going to hold it away from you. Yeah, and sometimes the awkwardness of a conversation is more on our perception than it is on the person that's receiving it. Uh, so when we're a lot more authentic about our own relationship with Jesus and we speak of it from a place of authenticity, it's not really awkward. Right. So I think as well, relational trust plays a huge part in this so that if you are, in fact, speaking about your relationship with Jesus to someone that trusts you and trusts your friendship, then it becomes a little bit more conversational and more, not matter of fact, but it, it's it's kind of held with some respect and, and reverence. Yeah, they're less likely to be anticipating a manipulation, yeah. right? Because they know that this is like just sort of the way that you are. You know, I mean, I think about my friend Suzanne, who was my best friend in high school, and she was Jewish, um, and we were on the phone every night before bed and I had this saint book that I read every night before bed. It was a garbage saint book, but, you know, it was what I had. Um, and because I didn't want to get off the phone with her, I would just read it to her. But I was, I didn't have an agenda. I wasn't trying to convince her of anything. It was just like, this is a thing that we do on the phone together every yeah. night. And so, like, she knows all these saint stories. She was talking to somebody one time who asked her if she could marry someone who wasn't Jewish. She was like, I think I could if he was Catholic. You know, and, like, wow. she's not Catholic. She yeah. doesn't know Jesus. Like, there hasn't been a conversion that's come out of this. But it's just... That wasn't rooted in me wanting to convince everybody. That was just like, we are living life together and this is a part of my life and you're on the phone, so we're going to do it out loud, you know? And I think she absolutely would have known if my intention had been to try to convince her. Also, that would have been like really the wrong book to try to use yeah, right. to convince her yeah. of anything. Uh, but I think people can tell when you're coming to them and just trying authentically to include them in your life and they can tell when you have a, a plan to convince them of something, right? And yes. it doesn't mean you don't have a plan because I think that a lot of the reason Catholics struggle to evangelize is that we haven't come up with a plan. And so we don't, it's not natural to us to introduce Jesus into a conversation with someone who doesn't know him. And because we haven't come up with a plan for it, it's just never going to happen. So like, it's not manipulative to say, okay, when somebody asked me, why did you move to Vancouver? to tell them about how prayer inspired that, you know, like, absolutely, like come up with the plan. But the plan is just to overcome these boundaries that we've put up around ourselves, because culturally, we think it's inappropriate to share about our faith, right? Yeah. The plan is not, 
what's a manipulative keyword that I can use that's going to expose their vulnerabilities so I can like dive in there and make them Catholic, right? Because we yeah. we're not the ones who make people Catholic. Yeah. It's the Holy Spirit. A hundred percent it's the Holy Spirit. Our job is just to just to allow him to use us as instruments, right? And Absolutely. to have those conversations so that people begin maybe to consider that it's possible that they might want to open themselves to the Spirit. Absolutely. Absolutely. You get to speak to a lot of different groups of people, uh, for the most part within Catholic context, either in a parish context, schools or ministries, etc. And in our conversation prior to this podcast, you mentioned a question that you try to regularly ask or try to get an understanding of, and it's, does my audience know Jesus? Mm-hmm. So why does that matter? You know, I think that we assume in Catholic context that people know Jesus and that, that we are preaching to the choir. Yeah. Uh, but man, the choir doesn't know <laughs> Jesus either, right? Uh, it is very easy, especially as a Catholic, to show up every Sunday or every third Sunday or you know whatever schedule your family's on to go through the motions, to go to first communion class, confirmation class, wedding prep, like all of these things, to check off all the boxes, to do 12 years of Catholic education and never have anybody proclaim Jesus to you. Tell you about Jesus as a person, about the radical love of God, about the change that that makes in your life, about what it looks like to let him move in your heart and transform you. Um, And I think that because we assume that people have met Jesus, we we kind of skip over that to to the toppings of the ice cream sundae, and yeah. and so people have a bowl of whipped cream and chocolate syrup and gummy bears and no ice cream underneath it, right? And that yeah. it doesn't satisfy. Like when I was six, I would have been all about that. But even at the end of that bowl, when I was six, I would have been like, wait, that that's it? Like we need we need the substance here. Um, and I think that. It's not something that our priests are necessarily trained to do, sure. uh, to proclaim the gospel in a way that people are able to hear as like a radical life-changing proposition. Sure. Yep. Um, and so recognizing that in a group, I can't assume that people know Jesus, even in a one-on-one conversation. I'm not like feeling people out, like trying to figure you out, but you know, just because you work for the church does not mean that you have a relationship with Jesus, right? And there are when we're having a conversation, often it's going to come out. Um, and I'm not judging anybody, right? Like people use language in different ways. And I, I wouldn't come away from somebody and be like, well, that person definitely doesn't know Jesus unless you like specifically told me that. Um, but I kind of come from a posture of if I can speak about Jesus that makes it clear that life is more beautiful with him, then that might be an opportunity for somebody to hear something more than just follow these rules and don't burn in hell or check off these boxes so you're a good person. Or, you know, for a lot of people, it's it's a question of, like, family or heritage, right? Like, I'm Portuguese, and this is what Portuguese people do. And, like, that's a start, right? God's going to work with that. But just because somebody's showing up every Sunday, even every day, doesn't necessarily mean that they know Jesus. Um, or that they have allowed him to break down the walls of self-loathing that they've built around themselves, right? I know I've spoken to any number of, like, elderly people who who I think do know Jesus, but haven't let him know them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so speaking about the way the Lord delights in them and seeing 70-year-olds weep uh, and just recognizing, man, that there's just always healing that the Lord is trying to work in us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when, he, when we acknowledge that, that God is infinite, right? Infinite love, like, 
and and that we would get to spend eternity getting to know more about who he is and the love that he has for us then it, it presents for us a disposition of always wanting to get to know Jesus mm-hmm. so the initial proclamation is an initial and this is what Pope Francis says this like it's it's not initial because it's first and then it's kind of like swept aside for more complicated or you know more important things it's the only thing right it's initial because it's it's qualitatively the only thing right yeah yeah, yeah and i mean i've certainly had times when somebody says something very you know quote unquote basic yeah. about the gospel and the holy spirit just like punches me in the stomach yeah. and it, you know like yeah. like i'll i remember a, a confession where the priest said something to me like god really enjoys you and and that's like part and parcel of God loves you, right? This is the thing that I preach all the time. I talk about God delights in you. I talk about God is captivated by you, but it was just a different word. And I was like, oh, oh, he does really enjoy me. Like he, he likes spending time with me. And this wasn't a a masterful new formulation of the charisma. This was just like, I needed to hear the same thing that I have preached a thousand times. I needed to hear it again. Absolutely. Right? Like we never yeah. move past the need to yeah. hear a, a real genuine explication of what it means that God loves us. Yeah. Yeah. And he says it with perfect timing. Mm-hmm. Right? You, he knows what you're experiencing, what you're going through. And he says it in that moment for a particular purpose for you to know. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a question that was centered around. Um, I'm trying to remember it now. So. <laughs> Oh, I want to go back to like you mentioning the the Lord calling you to this particular mission territory, this particular ministry that you're in. And like you, like we said, it's, it's an uncommon path. What would you offer to, um, to, to like the everyday lay person who is trying to understand or, or discern their mission field, right? I mean, we know that we're all like, you know, for the proclaim movement, the people that are listening to this, they, they know that we're called to evangelize. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the broad general space. But then the next question would be, well, where? Like, is it with my family? Is it with my friends? Is it to run a particular program or to, you know, to offer outreach to a particular group, uh, my colleagues or youth ministry? There's so many different opportunities and, and probably more needs than we could even imagine. So, you know, how would you advise or, or help the you know the everyday lay person try to understand what the Holy Spirit might be preparing them for um, in this particular time with a particular mission. Wouldn't it be so nice if it was just like oh well this yeah, is, right. this is the yeah. the hierarchy yeah, of yeah, needs yeah, yeah. right just, like you know, family is number one and then friends yeah. are number two and then coworkers are number three. You have got to be spending serious time in silent prayer every day. Yeah. Um, and there are a thousand things as Catholics that we can fill our prayer life with, and they are beautiful things. Like the rosary is so beautiful, and the Liturgy of the Hours is so beautiful, and I'm like utterly obsessed with the Bible. I have read it 21 times cover to cover. I have written a book about I mean, like, love scripture, but it's very easy for us to fill our prayer lives with noise mm-hmm. and for even the Word of God to be something that we use to drown out the words of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes the Lord will override that. Right. Where he's like, I know that you're just reading to consume this so that you can feel like a good person because you've read the Bible and I'm going to actually speak to you. Uh, But it's it's easiest for us to make space for the Lord to speak when we do it through actual silence. Mm -hmm. And maybe you read scripture for 15 minutes and then you have 15 minutes of silence. Maybe you pray your rosary and then you have 15 minutes of silence. You do spiritual reading and then you have 15 minutes of silence. 
but you have to have the silence. You have to have the discomfort. You have to have the awkwardness, those moments where you think you're having a, a vision, but it turns out you're having a dream because there is no amount of caffeine that can fuel your life. Um, not that I'm speaking from experience there. That that place of, of discomfort and uncertainty, that's where I think the Lord speaks the most profoundly. Um, and it's not, by and large, going to be in words, right? Um, it's not even necessarily going to be like a sure conviction that comes out. But when you have that constancy of that space, there's a clarifying of your desires uh, and of your impulses that you might not necessarily be able to identify as coming from that time in prayer, but that is rooted in that time in prayer. Um, mm -hmm. You know, people ask me all the time, how do you know where you're going next, right? Because I might Usually when I wake up in the morning, I know what state I'm spending the night in. Not always, but usually. Uh, but I frequently don't know where I'm going to be in two weeks, right? Um, and I, I spend serious time in silent prayer every day, and then I live my life. And I trust that either God is going to form my heart to desire what he desires, or he's going to step in and stop me before I do something stupid, or he's going to fix it after I mess up. And I, like, I really, Eric, I really think that I'm going to go to my judgment, and Jesus is going to be like, honey, you thought I wanted you to do what now? Like, yeah, that's, right. that's not a thing. Yeah. And I'm going to be like, I'm so, and he's going to say, oh, but you tried so hard. Yeah. Like, it was weird, but you tried so hard. <laughs> and I, I just think that there's such peace that comes in having that time in silent prayer where you're like, I'm giving God space to speak. And I feel like I need to talk to my brother-in-law. And if I'm wrong, like, that's not on me, right? Like, I'm giving God space to speak, and I feel like I need to start this program at my church. And if I'm wrong, that's not on me, because he is the God of the universe. And if he can't speak loud enough in this 15 minutes of silence that I give him every day, like, he's going to understand that it's not my fault, you know? And I think just the peace of knowing that I've given him that space, that I've, like, handed over my heart and said, God, you, you do what you want to do. And if I don't hear anything else, this is the direction I'm going, right? There's just, I don't know, I'm the kind of person who gets really stressed that I'm going to mess things up. Um, and I don't broadly feel that way because I'm like, look, 45 minutes every day I sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And I'm like, if you got something to say, I'm here. You yeah. know, and if if he doesn't have anything to say, then I'm just, I'm going to trust yeah. that he's working yeah. in the silence, that he's working in the unreasonable anxiety that I might have about something where I'm like, okay, well, then I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to go there. And, and maybe that was just because I had had too much espresso before I prayed about, you know, like whatever. Um, but there's, there's just such peace in saying I've given God the space to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I love how you're, you're speaking about the importance of prayer within the context of an apostolate or within the context of the mission that we have. Cause uh, personal prayer is, uh, I mean, it's a relationship. It's our conversation with the Lord, but it's also where he speaks to us and gives direction. So this isn't even just about, like starting and ending meetings with prayer right. or I'm going to do this thing and then pray, um, you know, while I'm doing it. No, it's, it's, I'm going to pray because my relationship with the Lord is primary and he's going to give me direction. Yeah. Like I'm going to bow down to the King and then I'm going to ask him where he wants me to go. Right. And, and that's, that's really hard. And I think it's, it's, I guess it's something that, um, isn't always talked about a lot like prayer is talked about a lot like you said you know the rope prayers the the devotions etc but this idea of silent mm -hmm. personal prayer to hear the lord speak to give the direction all those things now um prayer is a gift from the lord it's a grace and 
but it also requires work on our part yes. to show up. And of course, you know, we're all busy. And I would say you are quite busy in a very unique way. Um, tell us how you've committed to a routine of prayer every day. How do you pray? When do you pray? Like, how has that formed within your life? And, and you, like, I, you know, I hear you, it's, it's, it's so important to you. And it's, yeah, yeah, I am not naturally a good person, right? So, like, some people are okay. naturally very good. Like, my little sure. brother, atheist, naturally good and kind and a little bit, like, obtuse, right? But, like, he, he just has a really good heart. I do not naturally have a good heart. I naturally am and vicious and biting and sarcastic and very clever and I want and everybody sure. to know right <laughs> okay. um, so I need the prayer to even be like a bearable human being to yeah. be around okay. um, and that's yeah I don't I don't even know who I would be um, if the Lord hadn't hadn't prompted me to follow him in this way um, I am both blessed and cursed by being extraordinarily stubborn okay um, and God works in that right like I when I met Jesus I was like I am gonna win church right like I am gonna be <laughs> so freaking Catholic nobody's even gonna know what to do with me and I did like I yeah. won girl of the year from the Knights of Columbus okay. right like I won church. that was a thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I didn't even know that's what I was aiming for but I did I got yeah. like the steak with the plastic knife and everything <laughs> right um, but God works in that, right? And so, you know, I was in a youth group where to be at the, like, highest commitment level, you had to commit to going to Mass every day. And so I did, and I just didn't really think that that was a thing that expired, right? So I've just gone to Mass every day since I was 16, right? Um, and so people sometimes will ask, like, well, how do you commit to daily prayer? And I'm like, oh, well, you just decide that you're going to do it every day until you die. And then you do, right? Like, and that's, <laughs> that's not how most people work. Um, so it's not terribly helpful advice. But the Lord has really... He's blessed me in that. Like, he doesn't okay. make mistakes when he makes yeah. us. And obviously, there's, like, refining that needs to happen there, right? Like, stubbornness and dedication are not exactly the same thing, but they are they have the same root, right? And so um, the Lord has taken that stubbornness and he's used it for, for his goodness. Um, but for me, like, really the heart of everything is that daily mass and holy hour, right? Like, there's other elements of my prayer life that I feel like the Lord could come and be like, hey, you know what? You don't need to pray the rosary every day this year, you know, or like maybe the liturgy of the hours isn't your thing right now or whatever. Um, and I, I'm certain there could come a time when it's like not physically possible. Uh, but but the thing about the thing about um, non-negotiables is the impossible becomes possible mm -hmm. when it's non-negotiable, mm -hmm. right? And so there's so many times in the last 10 years when daily mass really just wouldn't have been possible except that it was non-negotiable and so like you make it work right if you say i can only come to japan if you have a priest who picks me up from the airport and celebrates mass for me people will either find a priest to celebrate mass for you or you won't or go, to japan, go to japan you know yeah. and like like got i mean the the pandemic was really challenging for me because that was the first time that oh. i like really really couldn't go to mass but god yeah. worked in that too yeah um yeah, and so I think figuring out, and it's going to be different for different people, right? If you've got, if you're homeschooling seven kids and like working from home, you are not going to be making a holy hour every day, right? Like you're not going to be bringing everybody to mass and praying the liturgy of the hours, but like to figure out what, what can I plan my life around? Because prayer is never going to fit into the margins, right? Like I don't have time for all of the things that I do. Yeah. But because that's my first priority, then I fit the rest of my life in around that, right? Yeah. And even to say 15 minutes a day, that is 1% of your life. 1% mm -hmm. of your life. I mean, 14.4 would be 1% mm -hmm. if you really want to be exact. Sure. You can set your watch for that. Uh, 
but figuring out a way that you can do that. And for me, it has to be in front of a tabernacle. It has to involve caffeine, right? Like I like I have to pregame with coffee before I make my holy hour. I just know the way that I work. And it's going to be different for different people, you know? Like you really genuinely might pray best while going for a walk. Mm-hmm. I have had some really good holy hours in my car. You know, if I've got like a 14-hour drive, I'll, I'll still go to mass, but I'll cut myself some slack and make my holy hour in my car instead of in front of a tabernacle. I've had some great holy hours in my car, but you can't do it where there's billboards. <laughs> That's the key. I was going to ask, do you just like, do you go to like the local parish that you know is locked and you just kind of, you know, no, like while I'm driving. Oh, while you're driving. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. If, yeah. If there's yeah. time in the day to sit still, I will find a way to get into uh, a church. There you go. Um, yeah. But every once in a while, just the drive is impossible. You know, yeah. or like if I am flying across the ocean, um, yeah. sometimes that's not going to yeah. work out. But, yeah. but broadly speaking, it does, right? Because if it's your priority, you can make it happen, right? Like nobody yeah. nobody just doesn't have time to eat. Nobody just doesn't have time to shower, right? Like if these are things that matter to you, you will make them happen. Yeah, yeah. I hear a number of principles emerging. One is that you have to decide pretty concretely that it's a non-negotiable mm-hmm. like just like Sunday mass like you know a faithful faithful disciples it's it's not an it's non-negotiable a daily prayer would become a non-negotiable but the other principle that is emerging for me in that is that you've created some clear I guess boundaries or, or um, criterias for what it is that you're looking to accomplish meaning holy hour means in front of the blessed sacrament it means it's an hour like you've set those up so you're not just saying yeah I'm gonna pray every day for an hour and then it's kind of you let a lot of things be a little bit kind of um flexible Mm -hmm. because then i think you'll fill those spaces immediately you'll lean towards the flexibility you'll lean towards like the um you know the adjustments and like the the exceptions exactly you will yeah and one beautiful thing about being catholic is that it's really written into our life that Mm. we have this constant invitation to uh to look at our life again and to say, okay, where do I want to be, right? So like Ash Wednesday is coming up and the church is going to say, okay, readjust and say like, who do I want to be? And then do that for Lent. But then don't let Easter come and be like, oh good, I'm done with that, right? Like yeah. Easter comes and you're like, okay, is this is this something that actually I could make work all year round or not, right? Yeah. Like what do I want to introduce during Easter? What do I want to introduce at Pentecost? What do I want to introduce at Advent? And, and maybe I'm going to rethink this and Advent's going to come and I'm going to be like, you know what, actually, the daily rosary isn't the most fruitful way for our family to pray. We're going to try praying in three different ways and we're going to cycle through them so that the right. kids can see that there's different ways we pray. You know, like yeah. and it, it can be with your family. It can be as an individual. It can be as simple as saying, like, on my drive to work, I don't listen to music or podcasts. Like, I just spend my time with Jesus on my drive to yeah. work. Like, yeah. maybe the traffic is too stressful for you and that's not a great time for you to pray. Um, but... But it's that constant invitation to revisit yeah. and to let the Holy Spirit say again, okay, well, now it's New Year's. And like, what? what's the invitation for 2023? What's the invitation for Lent? What's the invitation for Easter? What's the invitation for ordinary time, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It doesn't have to be, I figure this out and then I'm stuck with this forever, yeah. right? Um, there's yeah, and, always and that call. At all these different touch points, I think a big part of it would be to evaluate fruitfulness. You know, are you like, are you, like, are you experiencing the fruits of the Spirit uh, through these commitments? Or is it a slog all the time, and mm-hmm. it's like you're hating you're hating life because of the structure that you've just put in place. So you're you're also kind of saying permission to also be easy on yourself, right? Yes. Like have great expectation that the Lord can grace you with the gift of prayer and with um, and that He can do the work of sanctification in your life, which is like that's what He desires for you. And at the same time, um, be easy on yourself, right? Just yeah. kind of. 
and recognize there are different yeah. different personalities and different styles of prayer. I read a really helpful book called Temperament and Prayer that looks yeah. at your temperament using the Myers-Briggs personality and says, this is the way you're going to pray best. And, they, you know, this priest hands me this book and I'm like, okay, sure, Father, whatever. And I look myself up and I look up the scriptures it's telling me to pray with and I already had like two thirds of them memorized. And I look up what it tells you to do every day and it's like a play by play of my day. And I was like, first of all, I am amazing that I figured this out on myself. <laughs> but like you also into it. this yeah, book is legit, yeah. right? Yeah. If this is what they're coming out with. And so, you know, I feel like I talked to so many Catholics who are like, well, I'm just not, I'm not good at prayer, which like, okay, nobody's good at prayer because nobody's bad at prayer, right? Like it's only ever a gift, right? You yes. know, it's not something that, that people can naturally just be contemplative. Uh, but a lot of times when people say, I'm not good at prayer, what they mean is I don't like the rosary. Sure. And I'm like, great. Don't pray the rosary. That's fine. Right. I mean, like the rosary is a great prayer. I personally do not enjoy the rosary. Right. Mm -hmm. I have said the rosary every day since I was 16. I have prayed maybe five of those, mm -hmm. you know, like it's not a great form of prayer for me, but it's the kind of thing where I feel like the Lord has asked me to be faithful to this. But if if I had had like you know, kids in a job and a house and things like that. And I was trying to figure out what has to go. Like the rosary could be a thing that goes. Whereas I know that like my time in scripture every day, my time in silence every day, those are really essential for me to be rooted in the Lord. Right. And mm -hmm. so just recognizing that it's okay if certain prayers don't resonate with you, you yeah. know, and it might not be a permanent thing, right? Maybe the yeah. rosary isn't your jam this decade and 15 years from now, you're going to try it for Lent because it's so penitential and you're gonna be like, oh my gosh, I actually love the rosary. Right. But you don't have to feel bad that certain styles of prayer aren't the way that you connect best with the Lord because the church only requires Sunday mass, right? Mm -hmm. Like literally everything else is optional and there are so many options and so many ways to pursue Jesus. Uh, but I think finding, you know, trying those different things, but always prioritizing that silence yeah. because that's where you can't hide, right? Yeah. And that's where the Lord really starts to, he starts to do some deep work. Yeah, yeah. The goal is to show up and that yes. the Lord just do a work in you. And I really yeah. think, you know, I've, I've been telling people this for years. I really think if you make a commitment, you say, I'm going to spend half an hour in silent prayer every day. And for the next 60 years, you show up and you are distracted and you are frustrated and you think you're having visions and you never get anything out of it. I think when you show up at your judgment, the angels will tremble before you. Hmm. Hmm. And Jesus will say, I cannot believe you kept showing up. Like the gift that is to the Lord, so much of what we offer to him is like just us giving back what he's given us. You know, when we persevere in prayer, when it's difficult, like that's something that we genuinely can give him from our lack, you mm -hmm. know, from our brokenness and from our nothingness. Um, and what a gift that is to him that we're like, we're not here because we enjoy it. We're here because you are good, regardless yeah. of how this feels. Yeah, amen. I think the gift of prayer is is really a gift for us and then a gift for those who we get to encounter on a day-to-day -day basis because mm -hmm. um, the Lord can do a work not only in us, but then in in the way in which we interact with others, right? He, he, he gives us the graces to to relate in charity to, to those around us. So I think for Proclaim and our mission to awaken disciples, to proclaim Jesus, uh, this is a non-negotiable. Uh, daily prayer, uh, encountering the Lord, seeking his word in our life, his direction, um, and allowing him, permitting him to move in us. It's non-negotiable yeah. for, for the mission. There's, there's a passage that has just been sort of like tickling at my heart um, since before we even started recording. Okay. I've, I've been thinking about, you know, we're reading the gospel of Mark in daily mm. mass this year. Um, and 
as I said, I've read the Bible 21 times. I still read the Bible with a pencil in my hand because the Lord is always saying something new. Um, and we read this last week. It's uh, Mark chapter 3, um, starting at verse 13. It's the call of the 12. It says, Jesus went up the mountain and summoned those whom he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 whom he also named apostles that they might be with him, and he might send them forth to preach and to have authority to drive out demons, right? And so that's it's a threefold call, right? He calls them, first of all, to be with him to be with him and having been with him then he sends them out to preach right which is what proclaim is all about this this invitation and then i mean as that next level of driving out demons right which like the lord can can work through us and do all kinds of miracles but i was really struck last week um with that in verse 13 it says he summoned those whom he wanted and i i think i had always sort of read that as like those whom he had decided he was going to send but just recognizing it as this like personal desire Jesus was like, I just really want to spend time with you, right? Like, I just really, I really enjoy you. And I think I'd always sort of read that desire to be with us as as being for us, um, but recognizing it also as being for him, mm-hmm. you know, that like this is what equips us to go out as apostles, uh, but also it's it's a way that we satisfy the hunger of the heart of Jesus, mm-hmm. right? Like that, mm-hmm. that thirst from the cross, just saying like, I'm going to be here mm-hmm. and I'm going to spend the whole time trying really hard not to think about my grocery list, right? Because that's where my head is right now. Um, but I'm, I'm just going to sit here and I'm going to be with you. And like recognizing that, that when you open your eyes in the morning, Jesus thinks, oh, I do want you. Golly, I hope I get to spend time with you today. And, and the way that we're able to satisfy that longing of his heart. And that then equips us to go out. But like primarily it is about that relationship. Um, and, and what a gift, oh golly, what a gift that, that we can offer something to him, right? This God who needs nothing mm-hmm. has made himself to need us. It's, it's just astonishing. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Usually I end with, uh, an invitation to give in, you know, a word of encouragement, but I think what we're going to do is we're going to leave it right there. Yeah and uh, and let the word of god resonate so uh turn the podcast off at this point you don't have to listen to my outro or anything pick up uh the scriptures go to mark 3 and hear that first call and allow the lord to just be with you uh to speak to you to delight in you and uh and then to send you out wherever wherever he calls you